In the name of Jesus, amen. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? That's the question John the Baptist sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus in our text today. And it's an interesting question. I have to admit, my my first impression to that question was to wonder if it was kind of a frustrated, implied threat kind of question. You know, maybe the sort of thing you might ask the uh, your deck repairman who said he was going to be there two weeks ago but still hasn't showed up. You, you might say something like, um, are you coming? <laughs> because if you're not, we'll find somebody else, you know. Internet's full of people. That thing might have popped into my head because in turning to, to work on this sermon, my blood pressure was still a little bit elevated from uh, a couple more than hour-long conversations with Comcast trying to get an issue figured out, which I said or implied more than once something like, are you going to help me or should I look for somebody else? Of course, to Comcast, my question wasn't really much of a threat because I didn't have any intention of going anywhere else. Uh, Streaming's a little too complicated for my family, so it wasn't much of a threat. I really didn't have anywhere else to go. So, and so, so in that vein, it's, it's probably true to say that John's question uh, through his disciples to Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? It's probably like more, more like my question to Comcast than, than maybe yours to the deck repairman because he doesn't have anywhere else to go either. John's in jail. Uh, John's in, in jail in a, a dark dungeon, presumably, awaiting execution. He'll have his head chopped off in rather short order. And if that surprises you to hear that, surprises you to hear that maybe uh, given uh, what you remember from last week when we heard about John, how everything was going gangbusters for him, how he was Jesus' number one fan and everything was uh, just zooming and tax collectors and soldiers and all sorts of sinners coming out in droves and he's preaching the good news and truth to power and he's building a mega church. If it surprises you now to hear that John's in prison, well, well, that means that you are hearing the story correctly the way that Luke and the Holy Spirit want you to hear it, want you to be surprised because you see John himself is surprised. He's in jail. Well, we, we, didn't, we didn't read it all, but in the four chapters or so between when we last saw John in chapter 3 and we now see him in chapter 7, uh, Jesus has been going gangbusters himself. It's a miracle a minute. Uh, these great sermons, people coming out. And just in the, in the chapter just before ours, he's, he's healed a centurion's uh, a daughter, brings her back from, from death's door, and then uh, raises up the son, the dead son of this woman from Nain, drags him back through death's door. All these marvelous things, things we're told that John has heard about while he's in jail, and he's surprised, <laughs> maybe a bit miffed too. I think his question, like, at least the question behind the question, are you the one, is like, remember me? Do you remember your your cousin, John the Baptist? The one who risked all for you? Your number one fan? (laughs) 
I mean, uh, remember me, not just question mark, but exclamation point. We are told of that widow of Nain that Jesus' heart broke for her. He just had to heal her son. I can see John in prison saying, can your heart at least crack for me? I'm not asking for a resurrection. Just spring me from this jail. You can see John's question, the angst there. You know, we get John, um, we get John the Baptist a couple times every, every Advent. Two weeks in a row, second and third Sundays in Advent all the time. And it might seem like, well, that's a bit of overkill. There's lots of stuff we could talk about in this Advent season. Uh, but it's really not too much. It's really not too much to see because we get two weeks of John the Baptist, but we really get two different John the Baptists. We get John the Baptist way up here, and then we get John the Baptist way down here. And that's not overdoing it, because that's not just John the Baptist. Way up here and way down here, that's every Christian. Every Christian couple going through a divorce, way down here. You know, at some point they gazed into each other's eyes, thanked God, and wept tears of joy as they made promises to one another. That college student sitting in her room alone and depressed, feeling used up. Maybe she remembers, and it seems just like yesterday, how she used to go to vacation Bible school. She was like on the top of the world, like the highlight of her summer. And she says, what happened? Where's God now? I saw this video clip the other, the other day. It was kind of a split screen sort of thing. And the left side of the screen was a picture of this judge, uh, attractive 30-something woman. Uh, in, her, in her gowns and stuff. And the other side was a man, similarly aged, but much rougher looking. He was there for his arraignment, but as soon as he looks up, you get this big uh, stunned look on his face because he sees who the judge is and recognizes her as, this, uh, as someone who had been his good friend like 20 years ago in high school whom he hadn't seen since, uh, whom he used to hang out with and, and talk excitedly about plans for the future, I imagine. But as soon as he sees her, he bursts into tears. <laughs> because it brings to his mind all the up here moments, which seem so far away. Now he's down here. All the things that could have been, that should have been, that once were, but are not now. Way up there, way down here. You've probably got some way up here moments that are maybe the, the things over against to compare you know, everything else, which, which isn't that. And I think for mine, I thought, you know, it might be my, some of my experiences, experiences in my college choir, which might not resonate with all of you, might even think that's kind of nerdy or something. But for me, it was, I mean, some of the best moments uh, of my life. I mean, so much so that a little snippets from college choir tours uh, still routinely pop into my, my dreams at night. You're play, proclaiming the gospel and song and, and being pretty good at it. You know, a choir that practices five or more times a week, you get pretty good. So you're making this beautiful music with people you love, singing to people whom God loves, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, trouncing through Europe in these beautiful cathedrals. I mean, top of the world, just touching the face of God. I remember that feeling and often long for it. You know, not that my life is way down here or not generally pretty good, don't get me wrong, but it's not always so easy to sing. 
Not everything I do or you do feels just right. Maybe not a jail cell awaiting execution, but you kind of see what I mean up here, down there. We get that a lot at Christmas. You start thinking back at these wonderful Christmas times, and is it ever going to be the same again? Will Christmas for my kids be as spectacular and magical as it was for me when I was a child? What happened to those days? Maybe you see what I mean about these two pictures of John, the way up here, everything going right, humming along in tune with God, the people there who are supposed to be there. And then way down here, the bottom is falling or, or falling out. Wherever you are now, it's just not where you were then. That's John asking, are you the one, Jesus? Given where I am, can I trust you? Jesus answered them, those disciples of John, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. Well, first we're told that Jesus does a bunch of healings and uh, uh, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the deaf hear. He said, then go and tell what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Which are beautiful words. But first, got to say, if I'm completely honest, and it'd be bad form for a pastor not to be honest with his people. They're not the words um, that I most wanted to hear from Jesus. Uh, not the words those disciples of John or John himself most wanted to hear either, I imagine. They probably really wanted Jesus to say something like, Oh my goodness, so sorry to hear that about John. I'll be right there and fix everything. After this, that, that answer of Jesus about the, the dead are raised, the poor have the news preached to them, the, the line I had dictated, I, I dictate a lot of my sermons instead of typing them out. I'm not, a bad, I'm not a good typist, so I'll speak them into the computer. The line I said, and this is the gospel that we proclaim. And yet, this is the gospel we proclaim. But the uh, computer didn't hear, this is the gospel we proclaim. The computer heard, this is the gospel we complain. (laughs) This is the gospel we complain. It's not exactly the one I wanted. I wanted everything fixed. And yet it is the gospel we proclaim. Jesus' answer to, to John's question, are you the one? Yes. I am the one. He quotes this passage from from the book of Isaiah about all the stuff that the, uh, the Messiah will do when he shows up, stuff John would have known. All the stuff the coming will, king will do when he begins to set things right. So yes, John, in answer to your question, I am the one. But, but, but John, in answer to your question behind the question, no, you're not getting out of jail. Blind receive their sight, deaf hear, lame walk, dead are raised, but not all of them. And not yet. Not you, John. But yes, John, it started. Yeah, yes, John, the Advent has begun. <laughs> These few things getting set right, even if not the setting of all your things right, are hints and foretastes of God setting everything right. Hints and foretastes and even proclamations that God has not left his children as orphans, but he comes and will keep coming, John. John. 
He'll keep coming, John, keep coming, all you ask questions like his. And that's not everything, no, but it is something. And maybe the more than something is just this. This is the, the detail that I hooked up on, that, that Jesus tells, tells John's disciples, well, first he does all this miraculous stuff, and then he says, go and tell John. Go and tell John what you have seen and what you've experienced. And we might read that first. Well, that might, is that just going to make him feel bad? He sees good things happen to other people. Um, but no. That's not the idea. The idea is so that John, even where he is, can know that God is still at work and and rejoice. And there's something in that for us, too, I think. It's as if Jesus is saying to John's disciples and so to us, um, to all the people that ask John-like questions, saying to them, you know what, you need to hear. You need to hear about the good stuff, the gracious stuff, the hints of mercy. When you see it going on or when it is going on. Because it's not going on everywhere, you darn well better be sure that when you see it going on, to go and tell. When you see these little pop-ups of grace, hints of mercy, blossomings of forgiveness, go tell people. Because they need to hear. There's a little cool detail in our text, knowing these people come from John. They're called the disciples of John. They come to Jesus. But once Jesus answers their question, tells them to go and tell John, they're sent away. They're called the messengers of John. Do you know what the Greek word for messenger is? Angelos, angel. And almost everywhere in Luke's gospel, whenever angels show up, they are these uh, divine creatures coming to proclaim the good news of God. I think that's an important detail. Jesus is saying, you know, John, he's not going to get everything fixed. But what I can do for you, John, is I can send you an angel. I can send someone to proclaim to you the good news that this advent has begun, that the invasion has begun, that the setting right will happen. And how important is that for us, especially in a world in which everything, every form of media anyway, conspires to make sure that we know all the hateful and horrid things in the world. How important it is for us to have those angels and to be those angels to spread the good news and the little hints of grace and mercy when we see them blossoming up. So Jesus sending those angels back to John to tell them what they've seen, that's God, uh, seeing what God is up to tell them what God is up to. That's him telling you that whenever you get a glimpse of grace in the world, run as fast as you can to tell me. <laughs> and, and when I see a, a couple people who've been hatefully blind to one another's viewpoints, deaf to each other's opinions, say, begin to actually hear and see one another because it dawns on them that the most important thing about them is not their viewpoints, but the most important thing about both of them is that they are beloved to Jesus. When I see that, when I see and hear about that and see the grace of God cutting through hatred and darkness, tell somebody because we need to hear it. Or when you hear of some story of forgiveness, or maybe when you yourself receive forgiveness that you absolutely did not receive, when a little unsought mercy raises a corpse-like relationship from the dead, don't keep it to yourself, but go and tell. Go and tell John. Go and tell me, because when that happens, it is absolute evidence of the grace of the God in the world and that the invasion from on high has begun. And we, especially when we're down here, we need to hear that. Do you see what I mean? John's go and tell. 
No, I'm not going to fix everything right, but there are hints of this grace, um, sniffs of this gospel, blossomings, blossomings of forgiveness. When you see it, go and tell. Is that everything? No. Does it fix everything? No. John the Baptist still got his head chopped off, and there's no telling what's in store for you, whether, whether your up here's will outweigh your down there's, or if you're in a down there, how long it will last. But Jesus is the one. He is the king. It's the gospel we proclaim. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the one to set everything right in his healing ministry, in his life, and in his death, and his resurrection. Uh, the setting right of all things has begun. Glimpses and foretastes of which abound, which we need to be sure to be each other's angels about and tell one another about. For evidently Jesus thinks that's enough. Glimpses and foretastes, his meal and his promise and his people together sharing those things, evidently Jesus thinks that's enough for you and me until the day when all the blind see and all the lame walk and all the deaf hear and all the bars of every prison are torn down and John gets his head back. And even all the dead are raised up. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.